I'm Margaret Feinberg, and this is the Joycast. Hi again, friends. Welcome to the latest edition of the Joycast, the hap hap happiest half hour of your week. Once again, I'm your host, Margaret Feinberg, portobello mushroom lover and author of Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers, both a book and a six-session DVD Bible study, which is awesome for you and your friends who want to open up your home and talk about food and faith. As I've recently shared on social media, I received my first FabFit Fun Box. Now, if you've never heard of it, it's a seasonal lifestyle beauty box that retails for $49.99, but it contains over $200 in amazing products from brands like Tarte, Anthropology, Glam Glow, and Free People. My box, it contained everything from hydrating eye cream to cuticle care serum, and my favorite item was this adorable jewelry dish that I am absolutely in love with. Now, as a listener to the Joycast, you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. And remember, you're still going to get over $200 in full-size, amazing products. So check out the sponsor of today's episode, fabfitfun.com, and use the code JOYCAST at checkout. If you love beauty and fashion products like I do, you're going to love it. As some of you know, I was part of a family who moved around a lot. I was born in Melbourne, Florida, then moved to Maggie Valley, North Carolina, before settling in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Meanwhile, I spent several years throughout my childhood living on a boat where we would sail from island to island. So I was always being thrust into new situations, landing somewhere I'd never been before whether a school cafeteria or picnic table on a remote island, and found myself wondering, who can I be friends with? Who will I play with? Who can I eat with? What I found is likely the same thing that many of you have discovered, namely that some places, some tables, are more welcoming than others. I'll never forget one of our moves when I walked into the seventh grade cafeteria on my first day in a new school. And I had no one to sit with. I felt scared, insecure, and oh, so alone. I took a seat at the table all by myself and ate. To this day, I often still feel the muscle memory of loneliness during that lunch hour. I share this because I think that many of us have experienced the table as a place of inclusion, but sometimes a place of exclusion, and at other times, a place where Even when we're surrounded by others, we can feel so alone, so cut off, so rejected. Yet time and time again throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus going to wild lengths to create tables of inclusivity. You see, inclusivity makes the table a place of joy and helps us taste and see God's goodness. Anyone and everyone was welcomed at Jesus' table. Tax collectors, prostitutes, the physically impaired, all of which made a lot of people uncomfortable. Jesus' dinner parties were the talk of the town, and not always in a good way. Yet Jesus instructs us to practice gospel table manners. He says that we are to do this whenever we throw a dinner party, 
that you and I, we are, quote, invited to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. In other words, make sure you save a seat for the misfits and the marginalized, the outcasts and the overlooked, even the new seventh grader who just moved to town. Let me ask, when you find yourself at a table with a wide array of people, who gets the bulk of your attention? If you're like most people, it's those who look like you, dress like you, think like you. And what about everyone else? That's why today I'm excited to talk to Kathy Kung, author of Raise Your Voice. She's an incredible gift of a writer, speaker, and thinker, and I'm proud to be her friend. She challenges us to expand the settings in our heart and at our tables, to throw the kind of dinner parties that Jesus would, creating places of inclusivity and hospitality where anyone can feel welcome. So pull up a seat at our table. You don't want to miss this. Hey, Kathy. I'm so glad to have you here on the Joycast. Thanks, Margaret. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear yours, too. In this first season of the Joycast, we've really been diving into the table and how that can be a place of so much joy. But it's also true that the table can also be a place of pain um, for certain people groups because their voices are simply not heard, or maybe they're not welcome there at all. Can you talk about how maybe you've experienced this in your own life? Sure. So I am Korean American and grew up in an immigrant home. And I really actually didn't think much of it until we moved in second grade to the suburbs. And we were the first family of color in that school district. And that was really the first time I became painfully aware that there were so many things about me, about who I was, how I looked, the food I ate, uh, the way my parents spoke, the traditions we had in our home were not, quote, normal. And, um, and to experience that as a child, I have some very vivid memories of the teasing and the bullying that was very much around these things that I cherished and were a part of me that I couldn't change. So, um, I, I've tried not to just categorize that as, oh, these are just kids, but to really spend, um, a good chunk of my life kind of unpacking that and understanding what that means, not only living here in the U.S., but what it means as a Christian, uh, what it looks like to invite people, um, into my home, uh, into, my kitchen and to welcome them to the table that I set. Are there any specific memories you kind of hinted at this that, that stand out from your childhood that maybe involved the table or involved food or something that you ate where, where uh, maybe somebody expressed unkindness toward you? Yeah, I can think of um, two memories, one from childhood and one that actually was then repeated in adulthood not too long ago in the context of a church. Um, you know, Asian, East Asian food, ethnic food has come a long way in the 40 plus years I've been alive. And, um, and so there's some more familiarity around ethnic food. But growing up, I just, 
I love my people's food. It's my comfort food. It's my go-to food. But I just remember um, being terribly afraid at bringing something that was weird to lunch and bringing leftovers to school and having friends or classmates really um, make fun of what I was bringing and eating and the smells that were involved simply because it wasn't like a cheese sandwich. Like what? Give me an example of what that might have been in your lunch. Well, even back then, it could have been something as uh, benign as fried rice, which I, you know, I'm sure people now are like, what? Nobody would make fun of fried rice. But, you know, actually, mm, 40 some years ago, yeah, people were making fun of fried rice and the different soups that would we would eat um, because they aren't chicken noodle soup or Campbell's or whatever. And I remember uh, just a few years ago being at church, we were, the church was doing a potluck and folks were invited to bring a food from their ethnic or racial tradition, cultural tradition. And um, a very well-intentioned woman pulled me aside and suggested that I not bring too much of whatever I was going to bring so that I wouldn't be hurt or offended if people didn't like it. And so for a while, I was kind of like toying around, what could I bring that would be like the most offensive (laughs) thing just to like bother people because I'm petty that way and need Jesus. (laughs) But in Right? But in the end, what I did was I brought Korean pot stickers because who doesn't like a good dumpling? Right. And they were gone. We didn't even get to the, to the line before they were gone. And people were like, wait, what happened? We, we heard there were dumplings. We heard there were pot stickers. And I was like, yeah, that's, those are gone. But isn't that, I mean, that was a fear. That was, yeah. she was actually trying to, I mean, you know, let's try to love you yes. because of her fear on your behalf, which A, was not reality because if I would have been at that party, I would have eaten whatever you brought and probably all of it. Um, but, but secondly, like there is that, that fear over the table. How much do you think fear contributes to expressions of exclusivity rather than inclusivity at the oh, table? I think it drives it. It drives, I think fear is too often our driving motivator. So we don't, say things, do things, invite people, gather, all of that. And um, and getting over that has to mean we change the way we look at other people or change our own expectations and really examine maybe the, the wrong messages we have received around what it means to be open and inviting and inclusive. Speaking of that, um, the Bible teaches time and time again about the Christian responsibility to welcome and include all, not just at our tables, but also at the Lord's table. What are some of the biblical moments that you would point out that kind of challenge us to think, wait a second, no, 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 the table isn't about me and my settings and who I want at it, but it's something more? Hmm, that's a good question. I think so many of Jesus's interactions throughout the Gospels are about the unexpected guest and how he turns the gaze away from the people you would normally think are the center of attention or the honored guest or the host 
and to turn our eyes to the people who are on the margins. So I'm always thinking about the stories of, say, the bleeding woman who is very much on the margins. And this whole interaction is happening and he turns the reader's gaze to her and what she's experiencing and giving space for her to tell her story in a place where really it's not welcomed. It's not allowed for her to be in that crowded space. And, and so I often think about, well, how, how do I ignore those people? How do I ignore and not pay attention to who is around me? And how do I try to make space and move the gaze away from myself? And literally that one perspective for our listeners and for myself, sitting down at a table and thinking, how do I move the gaze away from myself to the other people to really see them? You know, this week, this week I've been um, in the Gospel of John and, and just really diving in and actually studying kind of John 9, 10, 11. And there's this, this, it starts at the beginning of John, but it is come and see, whether it is, you know, Philip and Nathaniel, whether it is Andrew, the invitation of the Greeks, it is come and see, come and see. But to come and see Christ means we have to live with our eyes wide open toward others and toward making space to engaging in those conversations. And I, I think what you're saying is so true and so good. You know, you contributed to a fascinating book called More Than Serving Tea. And it it largely looks at the experience of Asian American women and how certain cultural norms made the table sometimes a place that is limiting and and even hurtful. Can you you share a little bit about that? Sure. Um, So the book was written by five different Asian American women um, from different perspectives of the Asian American Asian diaspora. And we all agreed that there were things unique to our culture that also was mirrored in kind of the broader American culture. So lots of misogyny, patriarchy, and that sense that women were um, less than. We are less than men. We are less desirable. Um, in some traditions, uh, the woman's name disappears from the family tree when she marries. So she's no longer on the family tree of her family of origin, but she doesn't join the family tree of the husband because she's considered property and, and, and kind of examining how that plays out in our real lives. Um, things like, when I was expecting our first child, feeling quite a bit of anxiety around whether or not I was going to have a son versus a daughter because of the cultural preference for firstborn sons and having to work through that. And and then what it meant for me and how healing it was to actually have a firstborn daughter and to walk through that as a mom who did not want her daughter to feel the things that I felt as a firstborn daughter. Let me ask you, you write this obviously from that rich perspective, but at the same time, you're able to see into America and in this culture, what are some of the cultural norms and stereotypes that create an exclusive table here in America? Oh, goodness. I'm always um, fascinated with who gets to be called American 
who comes to mind when we are talking about Americans? And, uh, and I, I mean, I call myself an Asian American, a Korean American, and I called myself that way before I became a naturalized U.S. citizen, in part because this is the only home, only country I've known. I, I came with my parents. I was eight months old. And, and so home, as much as it can be, is the United States. But it's always very interesting because growing up, when my parents talked about Americans, they were not referring to us. <laughs> They were not referring to our Korean friends and family. They were talking about white people. And, and then it's always interesting whether you're reading the newspaper or the news or even in pop culture when we're talking about America and Americans. By and large, I'm pretty sure people are not thinking about someone who looks like me when we're talking about Americans. Unless we're very specifically talking about America as a melting pot or America as welcoming immigrants or um, America as being host to others. So that's how I, yeah, that, I, I think that would be kind of the answer off the top of my head is it, how do we think of or who do we think of when we say Americans? Let me ask, how have you, you, you've been uh, deep into this message, you've been thinking about it. How have you gone about specifically and practically, you know, making more space for others at your table? Well, um, in part, it's been getting over my own hangups and recognizing what is home and comfortable to me. Uh, I remember having this conversation with uh, my husband when we moved into this home, I, I think 13, 14 years ago. And so in our custom, in our homes, one would never wear their shoes inside the house. So, but, but growing up, I was always fascinated by my non-Korean friends who wore shoes in the house. I could not understand this. And we have many friends, many neighbors for whom that is also the norm. They wear shoes in the house. And so we kind of hemmed and hawed about, well, okay, so when we finally start inviting people from the neighborhood into our house, what are we going to do about the shoes? <laughs> because that was a given uh, for our um church friends, the church we attended when we first moved into this house was a Korean American church. And so it was, it was understood. These are the, this is what you do when you come into a home. And, and so it was little things like that. Like what is hospitality and what does it look like to, um, invite friends with dietary restrictions and different needs and allergies Things that I don't have, I didn't grow up with, right? All of those types of things where I go, okay, what does it mean to invite somebody for whom what I think is comfortable and wonderful may actually be dangerous, harmful, literally? Um, and also kind of giving up the hangups about like, what does wonderful hospitality look like? And does everything have to be clean and neat? And 
What if they don't like the food I'm serving? See, it's back to the food. Um, like what will people eat and what would they enjoy and, and things like that. So for me, it really has been even having grown up, having my food, my traditions looked down on, recognizing I could do the same thing to people that I interact with, invite to my table. And yeah, so when you enter my home, you can keep your shoes on or you can take your shoes off. But there is a little basket of uh, slippers at the front of the door, <laughs> just in case. And I love that because it is, it's those simple acts that create the warmth of hospitality. I remember um, I was in Israel researching for Taste and See earlier this spring, and we were actually, it was a huge honor, but invited into somebody's um, house when they were sitting Shiva for uh, a death in their family. And so we walked in and they immediately pulled out, I mean, so much food, all kinds of snacks and cookies, laid them out, but but they didn't pick up anything. And 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 they they looked and they said, just understand here, we don't clean anything up because that that is a sign that you are like family, that we are welcoming you in. So so we just we don't do the quick pickups that I know you often do in America. And I thought, how gracious and how sweet a to communicate and to explain that and and to just be and also to introduce that freedom is this is who we are. This is how we live. You're you're one of us. And so learning and being sensitive to different cultures and different backgrounds and what that looks like for each person. Right, right. And I think so many of those things, those markers are around both celebrating and around grief, you know, these big traditions like Shiva and um, weddings, funerals, right? What What is considered appropriate and family may feel really uncomfortable to somebody who doesn't understand and know what those social cues are. And so, um, so it's what a gift to be welcomed into that home and to be told like, this is, this is what that means so that you don't make assumptions and, um, and how helpful that is. I love what you've been sharing, that idea of number one, communication. Communication is so key to creating places of inclusion and hospitality. Uh, number two, finding out, you know, okay, you, some people, no shoes, other shoes. We will make spaces so that you come in as you are and are, and are accepted. And that kind of mentality and that kind of intentionality in the detail, being sensitive to food allergies um, so that nobody gets sick are things that can really help us create more space at the table. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, something we always do here on the Joycast before we conclude is we get one of our guests' favorite recipes or dishes. And I would love to know what recipe you would love to share with us today. So I am sharing a kolachki recipe. So Polish Ooh, cookies. Uh, yum, yum, yum. And, um, and so listeners may wonder like, wait, why is she sharing a Polish cookie recipe? <laughs> Um, and in part because the food of my people and my comfort food, I, I actually don't have any handwritten recipes for any of that. So I, I wouldn't know how to do that or how to start. And then, um, I was just thinking around things that bring up good, warm memories and kind of cross 
those cultural lines for me. And so this kolachki recipe was one that belonged to a coworker of my mother's from 30 some years ago. And my mom has a handwritten copy of this recipe. I have a photocopy of it. And it was one of the first cookies I remember baking with my mom. And it felt very, um, it felt very American to bake cookies because that's just not a huge dessert staple in Korean homes. We eat fruit. And, and so baking a cookie felt very American, just shy of like baking a pie, right? So, so instead of pie, it was kolachkis. And, and I, I think of this recipe quite warmly and I don't bake them often. And I bake them in massive batches around the holidays because it's just nothing but flour, ice cream, and butter. <laughs> oh my goodness. Three of my favorite things yes. all in one recipe. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Well, I know I'm going to love it and our listeners will too. And good news for all of you listening is that we have the full recipe from Kathy. And all you need to do is just log on to margaretfeinberg.com forward slash joycast, where you'll find the whole recipe, all those ingredients in their quantities, as well as the show notes and ways to connect with Kathy through her writing, her speaking, and much more. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us on the Joycast. Thanks, Margaret. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Joycast. If you've enjoyed today's conversation and you'd like to dive deeper into the unexpected joys awaiting you around your table, check out my new book and Bible study, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. These resources will help you savor your life nourish your friendships, and embark on your greatest faith adventure. You can purchase them at your favorite retailer or margaretfeinbergstore.com. If you do, reach out to me on social media or my website and let me know what you think. Until we meet again, bon appetit and amen.